Good morning, church. I have the privilege to uh, share with you and introduce Tuvia Zaretsky. Uh, Tuvia has been a missionary with Jews for Jesus since, um, he called it the Stone Age is what he said, but let's see, I think uh, since 1974, he has been working with Jews for Jesus. He was their first field missionary uh, right from the beginning of Jews for Jesus. And so we have supported uh, the work of Jews for Jesus since 1984 uh, and for him and his family for at least 20 something years. And we are really thankful for the work that Tuvia has done uh, he has served in a number of capacities. He's there from the ground level, has seen this thing built uh, to uh, a global ministry, currently is the director of Jewish Gentile Couples Ministry. Um, he took a sabbatical in 2020, came back really excited about this new work that he's been doing, uh, and he'll share a little bit about that. Uh, I just want to say that Tuvia has been a friend uh, to this church, to me personally. Uh, we've talked over the years. Uh, we had him come back when we were going through Romans uh, and we got to Romans 9, and I said, you know what, who can preach through Romans 9 for us? And we had, uh, Romans 11, as we asked Tuvia to come in uh, and preach. And so, so thankful for him. Him and Ellen have been married for 41 years. They have three adult children, uh, and uh, they live in, on the West Coast. And so he, he was here, and he said, is there any way? And we said, yes, we will make it work. And so uh, if you picked up these missionary cards uh, at the missions conference a couple months ago, uh, you'll know that at the last card right there, a Z is Tuvia and Ellen Zaretsky. I hope you're praying for them. If you want some of these cards, these are all the missionaries and organizations we support. They're out there on the back table. Uh, I'm going to have Zach come up and uh, share from God's Word this morning as he reads the scripture. And then would you welcome our dear brother Tuvia Zaresti as he preaches God's Word this morning. Morning, church family. Morning, hello. Or uh, in Swahili, Habari. <laughs> Today we'll be reading Leviticus 23 verses 33 through 44 and if you want to use your pew bible that's right in front of you that'll be on page 102 and the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the people of israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of boost to the lord on the first day shall be a holy convocation you shall not do any ordinary work for the seventh days you shall present food offerings to the lord on the eighth day, you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim and as times of holy convocation. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on his proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of, of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of, of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. Now your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
I'm the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. This is the word of God. Shalom. Hey, it's awesome to be back with you. And I clicked the switch. Can you hear me? Good. Um, I love your pastoral staff. I love what you guys are doing. And I've been able to follow with you, um, join the, the uh, part of the, the series through James, one of my favorite books, written to the 12 tribes, dispersed. <laughs> um, but what a, what a delight to be back with you this morning. And I just wanted you to know this. I did some kind of looking at the, my message this morning, and I was blessed. So I want to pray for all of us that God would do the same thing here. Let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, um, thank you for inspiring my heart this morning in your word, in who you are, what you want to be to all of us, and what you desire to do through us. Be in us the inspiration that we need. Be within us the fruit of your spirit that we might joy in you. And in this morning, I pray that you might lead us and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this time of year. Um, as I look ahead to Thanksgiving, it connects in my mind and my life with my growth. Uh, as a child, I grew up in Judaism. I grew up in a, in a synagogue in California. Not in the synagogue exactly, but we went there. <laughs> And I think uh, what inspires me this morning so much is to, to share just the background to what I think is the, the scriptural, the, the biblical background to the Feast of, let's see, where's that first slide? Oops. Just one of the, the, the opening screen. It says, Christ in the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, that's the, the Jewish festival that, that launches the springtime harvest festival, and it's a time in, w in which our people um, come to the, uh, the, used to come to the temple and give thanks to God for his fruitfulness upon our land. Um, and in, in that, uh, he says, I will, I will dwell among you. I will dwell among you. This is a, a theme that we hear throughout the scriptures. But on this particular holiday, on this particular festival, this particular time of thanksgiving, the message is, I will dwell among you. And that's what I want to set up for us as we look toward the celebration of thanksgiving. I hope that this will begin for you all a month of rejoicing in what the Lord is, has been doing in your lives. Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is an absolutely perfect model of the phrase, I will dwell among you, which is what God has said throughout the scriptures. And so this discipleship theme, what we are learning through this festival, as we, is to come home for the holidays and to encounter God and experience him in a threefold formula that um, I learned from our, uh, my professor of Old Testament theology, uh, Dr. Walter C. Kaiser, Jr., he noticed in the scriptures it said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. This was his message from the very, very beginning 
of the scriptures and it flows all the way to the end. And you'll see that as I unpack this this morning. The Lord wants his people to dwell with him. He wants them to know him. Even as Adam and Eve knew him in this very personal, relational way from the very beginning of our biblical narrative. God walked with them. He loved them. When he created humanity, he said they are very good. Every day of creation, he looked around and what he had made in, in his satisfaction and joy, he said, it is tov. It's good in Hebrew. Tov, it's good. But when he got to humanity, man and woman, he said, wow, tov me'od, really good, really good. And he charged them with being fruitful and with trusting him and abiding with him. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. And so um, we know the story of the fall in the the scriptures. We know that uh, God reached out and said he has a remedy. He would send a a woman, a, a child to that woman, That child would be the redeemer, a seed of a woman who would crush the head of the evil one, accomplish redemption, reconciliation. And so he was going to need a, and crush the head of the evil one in the process. So he needs a woman and a family and a tribe and a nation. He establishes through Abraham that delivery system of the Jewish people, the Israelites eventually, and through them would come this redeemer. Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob 12 sons, 70 people go into Egypt, 400 years they dwell there, and upon coming out of Egypt they have been slaves with no government, no army, no supply chain, no government uh, judges, and yet he calls them to dwell with him in the wilderness of Sinai. And there he tells them, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and be, will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God. Now begins a period of discipleship, a period of catechism, of training a people who had 400 years of slavery and a remembrance of a covenant that God made with their ancestors that he's a real God, that he wants to dwell with them intimately. And the pictures here are for us today just as well. God wants a relationship with us. He's not about a religious system. That's what I love here, the emphasis on that relationship with him and the engagement with him. There's this wonderful picture uh, uh, developed here of of what God was, was doing there you have the, the Mishkan, the uh, holy place, the Makom Kodesh, the, the barrier all around that separated that, that holy site in the middle of the camp of Israel. He is the king. He is their Lord and God. And he welcomes them to his house to worship him and to worship together and to know him. The tent of meeting complex has within it a Mikdash, a sanctuary, a holy place, a safe place. 
around which are altars for offering sacrifices of thanksgiving and worship and praise and pardon and request for forgiveness and confession and repentance and a place to dwell with him in worship and give thanks and rejoice together because we are welcome. The Mekdash, the holy place. And in the center of that, in the center of that place is the spiritual focus. In the back you see kind of a square structure, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the holy place, the very holy place, the holy of holies. Within there, this two-compartment sanctuary, Mekdash, there is a room in which are kept the, the artifacts, the memorials of God's relationship with the people to remember the very most important parts of his promise, his character, his relationship. I think of, when I looked at this, I thought about uh, um, some of the uh, items that are kept over the Capitol, the, the Constitution for us in the United States and the, the Declaration of Independence they remind us of, of what has given us freedom and liberty here. We look at the Holy of Holies, and there are elements, three elements, that declare to us these, these cultural, these religious, these holy elements that are our Constitution, or Israel's Constitution. First of all, there are the Ten Commandments. That's our covenant, God's promise, an unconditional, loving covenant relationship because he's going to use this people to bring a blessing to all the nations of the earth, no matter what they would do, no matter where they would fail, no matter how much they had angered and disobeyed and even defiled the worship of God, he would still use a remnant of that people and the people themselves to accomplish his perfect purpose, to bless the nations through the seed of a woman, the Mashiach, the Messiah, who would be Jesus. Second, you had the staff, the rod of, of Aaron, who stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And it was a reminder of the people that the power to serve God and to see his plan accomplished is not in us, it's in him. The power and the sovereignty of God displayed. And last was the, the jar of manna, that yummy food that they ate every day for 40 years. You have a, I love it, you have a, a place uh, that's part of this, this congregation called Beit Yireh. You call it Jaira House, right? Beit Yireh, the house of provision. He is the great provider, Adonai Yireh. That's the, that's the picture of the, the manna. God is a provider God. He provided and provides for us in our needs. He provides for us even the things we don't realize that we need. And most of all, he provides for us in our spiritual needs to make us fruitful in ways that we can only dream and cannot be in our own power and strength. Can I get an amen on that one? I cannot be the person that I want to be that image of someone who is holy and righteous. You know what drove me to faith in Jesus Christ? 
I read in the Gospel of John, someone had given me a New Testament. I wouldn't read it because it was about Jesus and the New Testament being Jewish. I'd heard those weren't for the Jews. One night, I felt compelled to read. And as I did, I heard Jesus say, It's written in your Torah that you shall not murder. I thought, got that covered. And then he said, but if you're angry with someone and you call them, and he used a a name at the time that was just meant somebody that was empty-headed. He said, if you do that, in your heart you've murdered them already. My first thought was to drop the Bible and said, that's not fair. There's nobody that can live up to that. Oh, the Torah was to drive us to a knowledge of the living God and to know that we cannot be the things that we want to be. And yet by his provision, if we humble ourselves and in contrition come to him, he would pour out the power of his Holy Spirit in those who believe in him, that we might know those spiritual qualities that we cannot create in our own power consistently day by day. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. The whole picture here was to teach people day after day that God is a sovereign God who wants to be there to be those things in our lives. The holy place was a spot to meet with God. That's what it was all about, meet with him. We can still do that in the quietness of our heart. Take a walk in the neighborhood and talk to God. If you have a place in your house where you talk with him, quietly and do business with him and him alone our whole life of ministry begins with what happens in the family in our house and then in our community our church family and out in the community abroad well these are the pictures that, that God set up for us and in the middle of this God gave some annual festivals to teach us these lessons in a more focused and pointed way the, the fall harvest celebrations uh, that began at the harvest season were in, intended to bring us back to a remembrance of what happened in the Sinai wilderness when we were alone, forgotten, this enslaved nation that was discovering that we were loved and welcomed and endued with value and dignity because God loved us. So those, fe- those festivals begin with... Uh, the blowing of trumpets, it was the wake-up call. It was the, um, the command, come on to my house. And so on the, the seventh month, the month of Tishrei, the seventh month we were to just blow trumpets all across the land. You know when they unearthed the, the remnants of the temple from 586? Sorry, um, yeah, actually the Herodian temple. They found, they found a, a large ashlar, a big, a big stone on the top of it. It says the place for blowing the trumpet was still being practiced in the, in the days of Jesus in the second temple period. The day for blowing, the blowing of the trumpet was to call people. It was to call uh, the nation together for a, a, a confab, for a discussion, to plan war, to talk about what God was doing in the nation, and most importantly, to call us back to the city of Jerusalem, no matter where we were. And God knew we would be in diaspora for 2,500 years, beginning in 586 B.C., temple doesn't exist. It was destroyed then. 
But he called the people to return to Jerusalem, turn their face to Jerusalem, and go there physically to celebrate this festival. And if you're on your way up to the city of Jerusalem, you've got two weeks to get there. On your way to the city of Jerusalem, if you have heart pangs, contrition, and fear, what if I stand by God's house and he knows what I am and what I have done and my sin separates me from him? And God said, don't worry. On the 10th day of the seventh month of the year, on your way to the city of Jerusalem, when you're there, there's going to be a sacrifice on the altar that you saw in that other picture, the altar for sin, for all the people, for all the nation, for all that year. Clean slate. Come on up to my house. Don't be afraid. Come and be with me. Because the whole purpose was to be there to rejoice and worship the intent of uh, the, the holiday, the holy day, was to rejoice with God and to be in his presence, to dwell with him and to know his loving kindness. I'm always struck by, uh, I work with couples all the time, and uh, the um, book, The Meaning of Marriage by, by Tim Keller, has this wonderful quote in it that helps couples understand how to grapple with selfishness. Said, and I'm paraphrasing here. One of the hardest things for us to do to, is to, do we dare to know how much God loves us in the face of our own sinfulness? Can we confess that until we know that God loves us so much? Our own brokenness. So Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, as was just read for us, is that, that call. So he says, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day of the seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths, Sukkot, the feast of dwellings, the feast of tents, like what you celebrated, what you lived in when you were in the Sinai wilderness. Remember that and remember how, how insecure, how vulnerable, transparent that was. And yet in the middle of your camp was the living God. And on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It's a Shabbatonim. These are, these are, are Sabbaths, days of rests, an interim, uh, sorry, the, an intended rest uh, with the Lord. It's a hard thing. Our inclination is to do everything we can to please God. Right? We want to do things that we know will please God. And so we behave in ways, we show an affect in ways to please him. But what he wants from us is to trust him. Because it's impossible to please him until we have trusted him. Wasn't that the failure of Adam and Eve? They could please him by walking with him in the garden. But what he wanted from them most of all was their trust and their obedience. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall hold a sacred assembly, a holy convocation, and again present a food offering to the Lord. That eighth day is called Hoshana Rabbah, the great day of salvation. Hoshana Rabbah, the great day of salvation. It's like uh, the grand finale of the 4th of July. All the fireworks going off. You've got this is a, this is a, just a phenomenal festival. You have um, people coming from all over the land. They're bringing their uh, produce 
And so you have, uh, you're sharing vegetables and fruit and pomegranates and grapes and bananas. And, and they're, uh, uh, if you've started from a long distance, if you're bringing grapes, you've got raisins, but it, it all counts. <laughs> and you're bringing goats and lambs and calves and, and there's a barbecue going on throughout this time. You've got the Levitical choir and praise band playing. Andrew, where are you, man? There's, it's the job for you. There you go. Yeah, they had a praise band. And so there's music and there's singing and everybody's living outdoors in booths. And it's, it's a, the weather at that time of the year in the fall is just beautiful. And it's, it's a, a joyous time around God's house. And you know that you're welcome there. It's a celebration. Knowing that God the Father loves us and he wants to make us fruitful. Oh, those are the two themes. Oops, I could have, I could have just kept going with this, right? Yeah, those are the two themes. Um, the booth is uh, to remind us that God is with us. That's the sukkah. Uh, he is Emmanuel, and the fruit that decorates our little booths um, helps us to, to rejoice in what he's, what he's given us. So you'll, you'll, for seven days, um, you'll celebrate this. Uh, and on the eighth day, you hold this holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Um, okay, we've read this. You shall dwell in booths. I'm not sure these are my slides. <laughs> there we go. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Yay. They probably were. I've just, I've just messed up. Yeah. So it's supposed to be a statute throughout your generations. Do this year after year after year. Um, all native Israelites are to dwell in booths, and, and others were welcome to join with us. You know, this, this festival is still kept on the first full moon, the harvest moon in Israel. Lots of countries, lots of peoples around the world have harvest festivals to remember the produce of the land and the goodness of, of their, their celebration and what is, has come about. For some of them, it's a spiritual celebration. Some of them, it's a, just an agricultural celebration. It's, uh, and for seven days, you have these Sabbath rests. In Israel, um, there people will still put out little booths. You may have seen some of these um, here in, in uh, Maryland. Um, it's a sukkah. It's a little open-sided booth with a table inside. There's, there's food um, provided on a daily basis. Uh, we have what's called ushbizin. It's a hospitality. People come over to your house and, and dwell together and share. A few years ago, just about five years ago, we were in, a group of us were in Israel. By the way, Jews for Jesus submitted paperwork in the state of Israel, and we are incorporated there as a nonprofit mission agency. It says in our charter that our responsibility is to make known the Messiahship of Jesus from the Old and the New Testament. And every year, the Israeli government comes to us and, and holds us accountable. Are you doing what you say you're supposed to do? It was a miracle that it ever happened. It's an amazing miracle, longer story than I can get into right now. But during um, our outreach called um, Behold Your God, Hine Elohecha, Behold Your God, O Israel, get you up on a high mountain, Zion, herald of good tidings, the gospel. That's where the word gospel is rooted in the Basora, the good news. So we were going door to door in Israel during this week of Sabbath rest. People would, it's a holiday, everybody stays home. It's like, like Christmas week. Nobody works. And we were going through apartment buildings and knocking on doors. And, and no matter what, people would say, why don't you come in, sit down with us, have a bite to eat. And then 
gifts are given. And we had New Testaments that we offered for free. And I was just blown away by the people who would take these. Things have changed. Things have changed dramatically in Israel. It's part of the story that we're telling. For most of my years working here in North America, the largest offices of Jews for Jesus were in New York and in Los Angeles, where I now am based and have been based for 30 years. The largest office of Jews for Jesus today is in Tel Aviv, Israel. And we've, <laughs> and we've just opened up another branch up in Jerusalem. These are dreams that I, I just couldn't have imagined, I dreamed about. But now to see them coming to fruition, this is an amazing era in which we're living. Difficult times, but God is at work doing some incredible things. So there are, there are two repeated spiritual lessons that come through this, this festival. Um, Emmanuel, God is with us. He's a living God. He's a real God. He wants to be with us as he was in the temple, as he was in the tabernacle, in the mikdash, the holy place. He's with us. And it's important to remember that every day of our lives. And secondly, he wants to make us fruitful. He wants to pour out his fruitfulness in our lives, and not just materially, but spiritually. It's kind of a backstory to this picture. The picture of the guy on the right side, um, uh, his name is Elliot, her name is uh, Mary Lynn. I work with Jewish Gentile couples. Uh, since 1990, the American Jewish community has been intermarrying at a rate of 52% and higher. Today, it is 61%. That's just the rate of, of it, Jewish intermarriage. Things have changed. When I was growing up, you didn't intermarry. It was a taboo. It was forbidden. It was a shame on your family. Today, it's become the norm. Many, many of you who are here today I know have Jewish friends who may even be married into your families. You may have friends who are in intermarried relations and you're wondering how to relate to them. Everything I'm doing right now is to, is to equip the church, to equip Christians, to minister to people in those, those settings. Um, I laid some information on a, a resource table as you go out today. I hope you'll stop by and pick those up. There is a, a little booklet back there um, called Finding Spiritual Harmony in Your Jewish-Gentile Relationship. There are a few of those. I've only got like five or six of them. Uh, they're, they're five bucks each. If you have a Jewish friend um, who you'd love to have one to give to them, you can either do that or there's a sign-up sheet. If you sign up on that sheet, I'll send you a copy of, and you tell me you want it, I'll send you a copy of this in digital form for free. Just let me know. I, I've got it uh, on my computer. They hate me for doing it, the five bucks otherwise. So, <laughs> not really. But uh, we're glad to get that, get that for you, and I hope that you'll, um, you'll take advantage of that. And I hope it'll be a ministry to people. But I, I got a call. Um, Mary Lynn told me that uh, her husband, a Jewish guy, was told by her brother that his people killed Jesus. He said he wasn't around then. It really offended him and it really hurt him. And he had no idea why Christians were persecuting Jews with that kind of a charge. And she called me up and I went to visit him. And it was a very, very sensitive conversation to get into. But he wanted to hear from somebody who was Jewish who could explain why do Christians say things like that? Why do they talk like that? Why do they think of Jews like that? As so I sat down with him and we found out right away that we were from the same hometown. He looked at me and said, where'd you go to synagogue? I said, I went to Temple Emmanuel, Emmanuel in San Jose, 
That's why I was bar mitzvah, thir- age of 13, accepted as an adult in the community. And he looked at me and he said, did you know my brother? That was our synagogue. Sure enough, we were in Hebrew class together. Elliot's a believer in Jesus. Now, God reached out to him and spoke to his heart. Crazy things are happening. I mean, that kind of a a confluence doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I know exactly who engineered that kind of a meeting. God wants to be with us, and he wants to make us fruitful, and he wants to use our lives to accomplish his purposes in amazing ways. Well, back to um, the, the temple festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jewish people celebrated that when we came out of Egypt, when the nation began, the tent of meeting was moved around and finally brought it to the city of Jerusalem. And in 970, Solomon dedicated the temple, the temple of God, the meeting place, as a building in the city of Jerusalem, 970. And he did it on Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's written in 1 Kings chapter 8. You can read it later on. But in, in verse 11, it said that the glory of God filled the house like glory in the cloud in the wilderness tabernacle, tent of meeting. And so the the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt upon that temple that Solomon dedicated because God wanted the people to come and join him at his house. Did the nation do a perfect job of observing God's commandments and following his way? No. Some 380 years later, 586, that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians because the people had failed to observe the commandments of God and keep the, the other festivals, in particular the feast of, of uh, the Sabbath rest of the land. And for 70 years, the people went into exile in Babylon. And they longed to hear God saying, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. We hear the lamentations of Uh, Jeremiah singing that 516 BC after 70 years predicted by Jeremiah the temple was rebuilt and the people once again with sorrow in their hearts called out where is our God in our midst there was no Shekinah glory present Zechariah reminded Israel the Israelite remnant that God's covenant in spite of their failure was secure that he was sovereign over all the earth, over all the universe. Because he'd promised in Genesis 12, 3, that he was going to bless all the nations of the earth through the children of Abraham, through the coming of this seed of the woman, the Redeemer. Never forget that part of it. That's our Jesus. Zechariah said in Zechariah 12, 10 and 11, sing and rejoice. This was to the nation while it was in captivity and coming back. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall come join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. This is God calling out again. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will dwell in the midst of you. And many nations will join you. That has been his plan And that plan is coming to fruition now. And it's coming to fruition now because the one who came to make it possible came to the city of Jerusalem on the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember this as we go to our Thanksgiving table. That at the Feast of Tabernacles, 
we read in John, now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was at hand. Jesus was in the, city, was in the land. It was about the middle of that feast that he went up to the temple. He didn't go up to the first of the, the seven-day feast. He waited until the middle of that, that week because they, the crowds, uh, the leaders have been looking to, to capture him and kill him, to stop him from declaring his messiahship. And in the middle of that, we know that halfway through the feast, Jesus did go up to the festival. And on the last day of the festival, the great day, Jesus stood and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let me just give you a picture for a moment. The last day of the festival, remember that grand finale, the end of the fireworks display, Jesus comes to the, the temple area. And there's a water drawing ceremony going on. The priests have gone down to the pool of Siloam. Remember the, the blind man in John 9 who washed his eyes and regained his sight as Jesus promised? That pool is still there. You can still go to the city of Jerusalem. You can stick your hand in the same waters that come out of the, out of the earth. The priests would go down. They bring two large pitchers of water. They carry them up to the temple singing hymns of ascent. The Psalms, when they get there, they pour the water into a large basin, perforated brass basin. And so the water sprays out over everybody's feet. And the picture is there's rain, the rain that God has provided to make our land fruitful, to provide for us. And in that moment, I believe, it doesn't say exactly in the scriptures that it connects with this, but in that moment, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. God the Father has an eternal plan, and his plan is to to send a son, his son, the son of God, as our redeemer to fulfill the promise he made in Genesis 3.15, that we might dwell with him and we might know him as our God. And through his Holy Spirit, your hope to live a new life could be made possible through his indwelling and refreshment. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. The Holy Spirit now who empowers and enables us to be what we cannot be. John, who wrote these words, was actually an eyewitness. He said, the word became flesh, and he dwelt, he tabernacled among us. The Greek word skena is that the whole idea of dwelling in a booth. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. When did John and we, oh, that's Peter and James on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the glory of God shine through Jesus. That's how they knew that the Son of God is the Son of God and shares his glory, laid aside in heaven before he came to earth. And John gives testimony to that. He is Emmanuel. He's the one promised by Isaiah 750 years before Jesus. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, 
remembering back to Genesis 3.15, the seed through the woman. And they will call him Immanuel, which means God with us, born of a virgin Israelite to fulfill the redemption picture. I hope today that you won't leave if you don't know him, but that you might take a moment and in contrition and humility say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. This is a real relationship. He's not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to do everything possible to please him. He's asking you to trust him for what he's done for you in the person of Jesus. Just like for the disciples on their way to the city of Jerusalem for for tabernacles, that God on Yom Kippur wiped away all the sin for all the people for all that year. Jesus did it once for every human being, for all sin that ever has taken place, for you and me. Would you trust him? There are Jewish people who are doing this today. I want to encourage your heart with the fact that, that we're seeing this, this happening. This is a, a page from our website. Uh, I hope you take time to look at jewishgentilecouples.com. Catchy name. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything else. But I hope you'll stop by. If you have Jewish friends, I, I would encourage you to, to call on them to take a look at that and to, to see it. Um, if you've, by the way, if you, want, if you find out that, find that little sign-up sheet in the back and you want that little booklet uh, that you can pass along to a friend, um, you write on there that that's what you want. Otherwise, I'm going to send you this little booklet. It's called A Roadmap to Christ and the Seven Feasts. I'd be glad to send that to you. Um, it's a, a paper. Uh, actually, I'll send you the dig- digital version so you can share that as well. Roadmap to Christ and the Seven Feasts. I'll just send that automatically. I do send out a monthly update to tell you the incredible stuff that's happening on a, on a daily basis in the work. I can't believe sometimes um, what I'm privileged to do at this time of ministry and life and the Jewish people that we're seeing. There was a guy, let me want to close with this. There was a guy that um, tried, to, tried to stop what we were doing about 15 years ago. Uh, I'll just give you his first name. He's Howard. He was an anti-missionary. He was commissioned, paid for by a group called uh, Jews for Judaism to stop everything we were doing. He tried to run me over with his car, missed, thankfully, um, just tried to make life miserable. And then after 10 years of working with some evangelical Christians, he said, you know, I was an idiot. I was really, really wrong. And he came and he apologized to me. And he apologized to the pastor whose church he had disrupted to, to do that. And then I was, he was telling me this um, as we were sitting at a deli in, in North Hollywood. And he said to me, two of you, are, are we in the last days? And I said, Howard... If I'm here at Jerry's Deli talking to you about Jesus, we must be. (laughs) Here's the picture of the last days from Revelation 23. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. From the beginning of the scripture to the end, he says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. It reminds me of the words of C.S. Lewis at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia. Now at last they were beginning a chapter, chapter one of the greatest story which no one on earth has ever read. A story which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. Heavenly Father,
be in us the spiritual fruit that we need, that we cannot conjure up ourselves. For we trust you, we love you, we know what you have done for us, and our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. For these things, we bless your name and thank you. Through Jesus, amen.